0: The latest one I had was with the Welsh. I wrote something, it was one of the most anodyne things I've ever written. It was just saying what they might call their new seven bridge and I said it should be something with no vowels in it and going on for 30 letters, you know. They brought the police in. The person in charge of the Welsh language gave her response, which was saying, we must always respect freedom of speech.
1: However, this is a hate crime! (laughs) 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 What the fuck? Hello, and welcome to The Brendan O'Neill Show with me, Brendan O'Neill. This is a monthly podcast in which an esteemed guest joins me to talk about the big ideas, the bad ideas, the problems, and the controversies of life in the early 21st century. This month, I am delighted to be joined by Rod Little. Rod is one of Britain's best-known and most controversial newspaper columnists. He writes for The Sunday Times, The Sun, and The Spectator, he was once editor of the Today programme on Radio 4 and he is author of four books including Selfish Whining Monkeys, How We Ended Up Greedy, Narcissistic and Unhappy. It's fair to say his columns provoke a strong reaction a few years ago rod wrote a piece about the labor party bigwig harriet harman which rachel cook of the observer said she found so disgusting that the article made her flush violently all the way from my <laughs> breastbone to my forehead so that i looked like i had german measles when you make the when when you make the media class come out in hives you are very possibly doing something right Rod, welcome to the show. Many thanks, Brendan. Enchante, <laughs> mate. I want to kick off by asking you about the Islamic Human Rights Commission for, for a very yes. particular reason, yes. because every year the Islamic Human Rights Commission hands out an award for Islamophobe of the Year. And I was actually quite chuffed to see that this year you and I are both nominated for the news media Islamophobe of the Year. Are, I yes. wanted to ask you, who do you think is more deserving? Well, um, I don't think
0: it'll come down to that, because I've managed to encourage my Facebook friends to have a writing campaign so that I can win. <laughs> and one guy voted 700 times, apparently. <laughs> so I think I've got it nailed, mate. I think you probably um, It's just, I love the name, the Islamic Human Rights Commission. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. Um, that is a sort of oxymoron of the week. Uh, but I also don't think there's such a condition as Islamophobia. Yeah. I think it's ludicrous. Yeah. Uh, I'm a bit wary of all phobias, but especially one which is about an ideology. Uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm Corbynophobic. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, but it's not <laughs> a hate crime, is it? Uh, well, I was going to...
1: Actually, I wanted to that to lead on to ask you about Islamophobia in particular, because it's one thing that you get accused of a lot. Yeah. And it's one of those words that I think actually tells us an awful lot about the political era we find ourselves in. So, firstly, there's that... Um, the the use of that phrase phobia the idea that if you criticize a particular thing then you must have an irrational fear of it you must have a a mentally disordered reaction to it and it does strike me as kind of almost like a rehabilitation of blasphemy law yeah it is via the back door and and that's something that you're charged with a fair amount right
0: well absolutely yeah i mean both islamophobia and it's uh, You would have thought, paradox, homophobia. I've also been (laughs) charged with that as well. Uh, So it's quite good to get both of them nailed. Um, No, well, the the obvious thing to say first is that it's a means of closing down debate. I mean, you're absolutely right. It is similar um, in a a cultural sense to to blasphemy. But as soon as, along with a whole bunch of other stuff, such as uh, denier, the word denier, which is now appended to anything that the liberal left wishes it to be appended to, and then puts you in the position of being someone who might deny the Holocaust. You know, it, it's bizarre. Uh, it's, a, it's a stretching of language so far that it sort of snaps back and hits your fingers. There's obviously no such thing as Islamophobia. You can't be. My, my objections to Islam are not irrational. They may be wrong. I might be wrong. But they're not irrational. They're based upon the way I see Islam as being. Uh, uh, prosecuted throughout the Islamic world, both by Islamic governments and by those lovable little squirrels, ISIS and Hamas and Hezbollah, uh, and preached in mosques up and down the country. The, the tenets of it, there are tenets which I really, really don't like. It seems to lend itself to anti-Semitism, to misogyny, to homophobia, if you wish to call it that, but certainly a persecution of homosexuals. Um, and a slightly, slightly bad-tempered um, view of the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit I, fractious I, here. Yeah.
1: There, I think the, the absolutely right about the censorious implication behind the charge of Islamophobia, because what it's effectively saying is, it's not just saying you're wrong, and as you say, you may well be wrong. It's saying that this is an illegitimate view to yes, the that's right. This is yeah. a this is a a disordered view, and it shouldn't be allowed in the public square. So I'm interested in, I think, what is your attempt to reclaim the phrase Islamophobia simply to mean criticism of Islam. So you recently wrote to to great controversy in relation to the Boris Johnson burqa controversy, where Boris got into huge amount of trouble for actually defending Muslim women's right to to wear the burqa and the niqab. So he made a very liberal case. But of course, he also which said. Which would they, be my case as well. Which is, and, and mine too. I think that it would be wrong for the state to ban them from doing this. But he also said they looked like letterboxes and bank robbers and so on. And got, there was a huge fuss, of course. And then you wrote a piece in which you said, if anything, there isn't enough Islamophobia in the Tory party. Yeah. So can you explain what you meant by that? Are you, are you trying to reclaim Islamophobia to mean simply. A critique Critics of Islam.
0: Islam. Right. Yeah. Uh, because I think this is a problem we've got ourselves in, and it's a problem that Europe's got itself in, uh, enacting deeply illiberal and actually, in a loose sense, racist legislation to ban the burqa, ban the niqab. So they ban the symptom, yeah, yeah. but they never deal with the cause. And the correct way for us to, to go with the niqab and the burqa is, okay, there are certain areas, maybe in, in court... Uh, maybe in schools, uh, where it's probably advised to to, to have someone wear uh, totally covered up. But what we should do is say people should be allowed to wear exactly what they wish to wear. Um, it's not the job of the state to tell people what they can and can't wear, but to question the assumptions which lie behind the burqa. And it's obvious, obvious misogyny. That's yeah. what you have to yeah. go at. You don't have a go at the burqa and the person, yeah. Just as you don't have a go at Muslims, because most of the Muslims I know are as as liberal and free minded, maybe apart from on the subject of Israel, uh, as as the rest of us. But Islam itself is not yeah. the ideology is not. So, so the two things to do is to put a distance between Muslims and Islam, um, but to make sure that our critique of Islam is is saying, well, look. It, it, it contravenes what we think of as being decent liberal society on these various tenets, and we won't stand for it. We think it's wrong.
1: Yeah, and, and one of the great ironies that really was made clear by the Boris, Burke and Niqab controversy is that we live in a climate in which all sorts of male behavior are demonized as rapey and unacceptable yeah. and misogyny you, know, you can't offer to buy a woman a drink without being falling under a cloud of suspicion you know any man who raises his voice or, or is accused of mansplaining if you spread your legs on the tube you're manspreading. i mean there are all these bizarre i do hate
0: manspreading. it's it's very arrogant i don't, I don't know And they, show, they also show their crotches off i don't like that but what
1: you have these um this feminist obsession with how men behave and everything men does is generally quite bad. But then um, you have a situation where it seems pretty clear that in some Muslim communities, not all Muslim communities, but in some Muslim communities, men are putting pretty severe pressure on their wives and sometimes their daughters to cover up in public. And it gets a free pass. So there is an element where... Islam
0: gets a totally free pass from a tranche of feminists. And I'd, I'd contend... With, with you. I, I mean, I think every country which has an Islamic government has women as second class citizens. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Even Malaysia, which for various historical reasons is partly Islamic, it's Islamic for the Muslims um, and not so obviously for the Chinese and the Indians. Um, but even there, you know, women can be arrested under the proximity laws when they're raped. They get banged up as well. I mean, they are they are treated as second class citizens. Now they get a free pass because of the, because of that confusion which abounds on the left, which feels itself, which feels that it must ally itself to to Muslims because they're a persecuted minority, which is questionable. They're certainly not a persecuted minority in Saudi Arabia, for example, or indeed Malaysia. Uh, I'm not convinced they're a persecuted minority in this country either. Um, so, it, so it does that. And it, it's partly also, it, it, it's such a complex thing, uh, Brendan. It, it, some of it goes back, I think, as well, to the Cold War and the alliances which were then formed. So you had the left, which was by and large on the side of the, uh, the sides which Russia, which the Soviet Union gave succour to. Uh, which tended to exclude Israel, and but it included a vast swath of the Muslim world. So, so it's a, it, a bit of that's in there as well, but also just rank fucking stupidity, absolute <laughs> rank stupidity. And they will say to you, these feminists, but the Bible's not very nice. <laughs> say, look, look, I'm not talking about eight people in Texas, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're talking about the entire Islamic world. We're talking about an ideology. Yeah, a Christian ideology is not really uh, uh, this whataboutery. Yeah, (laughs) it's just ludicrous. And the the
1: most extreme expression of that, I think, is found in the. The reluctance, or at least the initial reluctance to talk about the problem of Muslim grooming gangs. And I thought yeah. there was a really interesting moment a few months ago where Claire Foy, the, the British actress who starred as the Queen in The Crown, it was found out that she was being paid half the amount yes. that Matt Smith, who yes. played Prince Philip, yes. was being paid. Huge, absolute meltdown on Twitter. In the exact same week, it was revealed that there was yet another Muslim grooming gang operating, this one in Telford, Uh, Very, very little commentary at all. And I thought that was a very interesting snapshot of the quite explicit refusal to talk about the problems afflicting certain women and certain communities if those problems are being caused by Islam or the Islamic ideology.
0: Absolutely. And of course, the reason that those, those grooming gangs were allowed to operate was precisely because of the same stupidity within the authorities, both the police, the social workers, probably the schools, the same refusal to grasp that this was a problem at all. And, of course, you're right. It, it is absurd to get annoyed about Claire Foy, though I think my guess in the case of Claire Foy is that that was sexism. Right. Uh, but it's not terribly important in the grand scheme of things, whereas the grooming gangs, of course, are. Yeah, no,
1: no, absolutely, you're right. And I think the, the, the other striking thing in relation to this, which is, I think it's a point you made, which is because you and I both describe ourselves as Men of the left. We consider ourselves left wing. Everyone else thinks probably we're fascists or whatever. Um, But one of the concerns I have with the reluctance to have these open, honest, frank discussions about the tensions that arise from the ideology of multiculturalism and, yeah. and a situation where a Labour MP like Sarah Champion can be hounded out of cabinet office positions simply for raising the problem of yeah. Pakistani Muslim grooming gangs. So one of the concerns I have is the way in which that actually empowers the far right, because what they well, yes. realise is that there, are, uh, that there is a space for them to yeah. say, we'll tell the truth about these yes.
0: things. And this is an awful thing to say, but for a long time from... Around about 1994 to 2001, I can remember very regularly Nick Griffin saying to me at the time, I was at the Today programme at the time, someone's got to do something about these grooming gangs in Rotherham, Sheffield and his area, Kirklees. No one ever did. Because again, (laughs) That made it even more difficult for the authorities to react because it looked as if they were following a far-right agenda. And yet it was, in that particular case, the far-right which brought it to attention because nobody else would. Uh, The same thing happens now. The same thing happens with the Tommy Robinson business. It allows a tranche of people to believe that Tommy Robinson is a heroic freedom fighter um, rather than a vainglorious self-publicist and standing for everything that is good about Britain, um, and that there's a conspiracy against him. And, of course, his appearance in court, where he was treated abominably and wrongly, um, gives, gives support to that idea as well. Yeah. It, it's, it, of course it empowers the right. Far more, you have to say, in Europe, on, yeah. on continental Europe. Where where this where this refusal, which is even more strong in Germany and Sweden, at two degree France, certainly Italy and all the Visegrád countries, obviously, um, where this refusal to say anything about Islam uh, has led to this enormous backlash
1: and it 's such a predictable response, yeah, anyone who sat down and thought for five minutes that this uh, the dangers of censorship, the dangers of of clamping down on discussion about a particular yeah. religion would cause this one of the things that strikes me about um the warriors against islamophobia the the, the first thing is I think I completely agree with you that it's it 's a real stretch of the imagination to say that Muslims in Britain are a persecuted minority. I think there 's a real element of there's a persecution complex, and there's an element of trawling for proof of persecution, which actually is not just something that Muslim communities no, do. It's, no, it's indeed. pronounced across it's, identitarian. It's a plague. Groups. It's a plague. <laughs> I, I was once in a in a toilet in a cinema of all places, and in ahead of me at the urinal there was a poster saying, "Have you witnessed or experienced Islamophobic prejudice? If you have." phone this number and it was an advert for, for tell mama so there's Why this having the piss well you're having a piss so there's no escaping <laughs> the so there's this they, they, they go out looking for it because in the current climate in which you can win social capital and political influence and sometimes even government funding through well, demonstrating awesome funding. a lot yeah, of government indeed. through demonstrating yeah. that you are a victimized minority society is actively inviting people to claim the mantle of victimhood yeah. and to pretend to be persecuted, and that's infected.
0: It's, it certainly seems to have infected the uh, the current generation of students, for example, where there is now a, a sort of mass battling as to whose victimhood outweighs <laughs> the other. And I note that um, gay white men are no longer a persecuted minorities. <laughs> fuck them, uh, and, and of course women. Uh, so so those two have gone Yeah, uh, and uh, each victimhood has to be more esoteric as as the day goes on it's it's an absurdity Um, it's a
1: real fragmentary dynamic where even within the identity groups as you say, for example, the gay group there's suddenly this split between white gay men who are apparently super privileged black gay men who are less privileged Uh, gay trans people, or gay Muslims who are further down, and this constant fragmentation, even within the identity groups themselves.
0: And, of course, they all come into conflict with each other. I mean, the the, the one good thing is that one day they will just disappear in a kind of wisp of smoke, having, (laughs) you know, annihilated one another. Um, But, no, it is happening. I don't think, in some cases, that it's a stretch to call it a kind of mental illness in some ways this desperate craving of victimhood, mm. except that you're now beginning to see it more and more with feminism, mm. which was never about that. It was never about crawling into victimhood and, yes. and stating that you're weak. Yes. It was about the opposite of that, yeah. uh, which was actually one of the things that that article you mentioned about Harriet Harman, which perhaps had an unfortunate start, was about, was was the difference between... What Harriet and the bourgeois affluent feminists see as being causes, such as we need more stockbrokers who are feminist. You know? yeah. Back in the 70s, Valerie Solana sort of blown up the fucking stock exchange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rather than caring about the women who are on, uh, who are a secondary labor force. Uh, in call centres up and down the country, you know, and, and earning nothing.
1: Yeah, it's funny when you, when you find yourself uh, nostalgic for the Scum <laughs> <Yes>. Manifesto, <laughs> yes. you know, yes. feminism, yes. absolutely, <laughs> kind yes. of losing yes. the plot. But no, I put up. But I <laughs> think that's an important
0: point because because some of the feminists I talk to today, especially lesbian feminists, are very angry about yeah. the way this this Me Too victimhood thing has been clambered into with such alacrity. It, it's not them. They mm. don't think of it as them. And I know, you know the women who write for Spiked mm. think similarly, you know, Ella, particularly. Yeah.
1: One of the things I wanted to ask you about was the growth of this victim culture, which I think is one of the biggest problems we face in political terms at yeah. the moment. Because I think it's, as you described, with feminism in particular, you have this shift from... feminism in the 60s and 70s which had various problems and you you could critique it all day long if you really wanted to but at least there was that aspiration to autonomy we can run our own lives we can work we can negotiate public life without someone holding our hand now you have a complete flip reversal particularly among younger feminists uh, particularly on campus where the argument is well, you know everything from a man asking us on a date to uh, regretted sex to you know the, the tweeter who said something mean about how I look is is held up as proof of patriarchal repression and there's to someone to, to someone
0: who said hello to her on yeah. a train. Yeah. I remember that article. That's right. Some bastard. Yeah. <laughs> some nasty patriarchal bastard said hello. <laughs> you. <laughs> how just, dare you How dare you Bizarre uh, it, is a, it is a huge problem I think the bigger problem Is that we could kind of live with this, this This leak table Of competing victimhoods If it wasn't for the fact That a conservative government Goes along with it yeah. That is the, yeah. the real problem yeah. Because in other words There is no way of combating it there are, Who do you vote for How do you stop it All the stuff, and I I think in 20 or 30 years' time, I may be wrong about this, but I think in 20 or 30 years' time, we'll look back at the transgender debate. Yeah. And particularly the business being done by the Tavistock Clinic with children as being a grotesque form of child abuse. yeah. And yet it's not the Labour Party, it's not the feminists, it's not even the transgender lobby which is doing this.
1: It's the Conservative government. Yeah, <laughs> How did I, this happen? Yeah, I think the, the problem of woke Tories is actually a really woke serious Tories. problem, which yes. is you know, not necessarily because I love the Tory party. I've only voted for them once in my life, um, which was last year, because they promised not to enforce Section 40 of the Crime and Courts Act, yes. which would have made newspapers sign up to state regulation, yeah. And they promised to leave the customs union in the single market. Yeah. So I thought, fair enough, I'll go for that. Um, but with the woke Tories and, and the, what they're doing with the Gender Recognition Act in particular, uh, it, where basically any man instantly can claim to be a woman, I think that's really interesting what it's, because if the beginning of conservatism isn't the family and the sex difference Indeed. and the fact that there are men and women and they yeah. potentially do different things or think different things perhaps – if that isn't the building block of conservatism, you wonder what is. So it it really, I think, speaks to a conservative party that is completely abandoning the building blocks of its political outlook. No, precisely.
0: And I, I think my guess is that if you took a straw poll of the activists, they would agree with you down the line. My hope was that it would be Blue Labour which took this up. Yes. I mean, we believe in faith, flag, family, etc. Yeah. But there are only nine of us <laughs> it's which, a which is group. the problem uh, but no it's it's a huge problem. I think there's two things at work. The first is the old Theresa may quote uh we 've got to stop being the nasty party, yeah, and they equate being mind bogglingly stupid with being nice <laughs> uh, which is which is never a good position to be in. And then the elevation of people. like You see, I don't think that Justin Greening is a conservative. She's yes. she's a liberal. You know, she, she should be in the Liberal Democrat Party. But you're quite right. Why should we save the Tories? We don't like them very much. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm.
1: uh, and that, that, that's the, I think in terms of British politics, that's one of the biggest problems we face, which is, I mean, there are, there are many different parties within the two parties. That's the real yeah. problem. And yeah. if there were to be a split or a reckoning or some form of separation, at least it would make things more honest. But I think one of the problems with the, the direction the Tory party has taken is that even those who are concerned about identity politics and Corbynism, which is in some ways a, a very strong expression of identity politics and the separatism... Less so now. It's, they're is, trying to make a shift. They they have made a definite shift,
0: uh, and very cleverly. You don't hear very much about this, aside from the hilarious stuff over the women shortlists. These women who have spent 40 years trying to get equal representation in Parliament, and now find themselves being usurped by people dressed not very well as women, <laughs> uh, sort of women in, just men in bad disguises. Uh,
1: aside from that, they've gone pretty quiet
0: on all the identity politics yeah. stuff. I think because they know it doesn't play.
1: I think there's an element of recognition that it doesn't wash with most yeah. people. I mean, there so. was uh, recently a very interesting study, the results of which were published in The Atlantic by the, the Joe Cox Foundation, which found that in the U.S., um, the number of people who go along with politically correct thinking is tiny. It's, it's tiny. Yes. It's tiny. And and what was most interesting about this study, I think, is that it showed that the richer and and more educated you are, the more likely you are to be pro-PC. That's right. The yeah. less well off and and the, and the less likely you were to have gone to university. Yeah. The less likely you are to like. It's PC. a Morris
0: Glassman quote. They have power but no hegemony. Yeah. You know when I'm. Even when I'm up in the northeast of England, in uh, in my hometown, which is strongly Labour, strongly uh, Leave, and I talk to the Corbyn Easters up there, and they are Corbyn Easters, They are absolutely that, as they put it, they say we've got our party back. Uh, you know, they, they don't have a great love for Jeremy, but they do. They are pleased that it's no longer Blair, and yeah. and there's a, but but when you talk to them about these specific issues. Such
1: as transgender, get out of here! Yeah. You're joking. Yeah. Don't want any of that. Just sticking with the transgender stuff. One of the one of your best columns recently was on the deranged ideology of transgenderism, in the sense that what you have, particularly in the Labour Party, but also in different areas of public life today, is a situation where. Women who have struggled for so long to access certain spaces or yeah. to have their own spaces, as you say, now find them being invaded by men dressed as women, if we're being brutally honest. Yeah. But, but one, thing, one phrase that really strikes me in relation to this, because I think this speaks to how Orwellian our political culture has become, is this phrase trans women are women which is which is very strikingly repeated like a mantra which suggests that it's simply wrong and it's simply wrong but when i hear things like that and i wanted to see what you think i just think this a phrase like this is proof of uh, the kind of destabilization of politics and public life when you can have people saying something which is patently not true And yet they repeat it as a religious instruction.
0: But it goes further than that. You know, uh, I work for The Sun uh, and The Sunday Times. The Spectator is slightly different. The Sun and The Sunday Times. If I refer to a transgendered woman, i.e. a man who's become a woman, as him, struck out. Yeah. But it is a him. The chromosomes tell you it's a him. Frankly, the cock tells you it's a (laughs) him. (laughs) You know, I mean, these are, these are actual facts. Now, I don't have a, an objection to someone dressing as a woman, yeah. uh, and I hope they're not discriminated against. I think it's a little bit odd, but, you know, each to their own. I'm a little bit odd. Um, <laughs> but to actually say that you are a woman, and these days, and this is, how, this is how it always goes, the latest thing is more of a woman. Yes. Because you suffered more oppression. Yeah. And the magnificent claim which I adore, which is that you can suffer period pains. Yeah, I, I, this stuff,
1: this stuff, this is a mental illness, isn't it? You know, well, it's,
0: it's it's a mental illness.
1: It, it's, really. it's the thing where you do find yourself thinking if someone feels so alienated and disgusted by their own body, that does suggest. They need some. It does. Help. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. instead, what happens is society and they become assuaged in this in their in their victimhood. Yeah, and given this new role, which doesn't make them much happier. <laughs> yeah, I always come back to the Jermaine Greer line, for which she obviously got into a huge amount the of Samuel trouble. thing. Well, no, she said uh, yes. That's, so that's related that's my, to one it. of my
0: favourite ever quotes. But so she I
1: mean. said. Um, if a man cuts off his cock, it doesn't make him a woman. It makes yeah. him a man without a cock. And yes. I just thought there's, there's such truth in that. Yes. But you find yourself in a period in which saying true things doesn't necessarily mean that you will be applauded. The well, opposite, in fact.
0: Well, the opposite. You will be you know, harangued and deranged. It happens all the time. The billboard was the obvious case of it. You know, yeah. a woman is an adult human yeah. female, which is... <laughs> take near, it down. Take it down. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely do not know how the authorities have become so cowed by this. Yeah. You know, I and mean, we talk about Gramsci and the Master of the Institutions, and I think there's some of that. There's certainly some of that with the teaching profession and the judiciary, certainly the BBC. Um, if you look back to, you know, the, the mid mid to late 70s, The ruling elite was conservative, uh, largely aristocratic, but conservative of mind. The BBC was conservative. Mm. uh, It's hard to remember that, Mm. but it was. The teaching profession. I remember when I worked for the Labour Party in the very early 1980s, uh, writing speeches for the front bench. And I asked my uh, boss, the teachers need a pay rise. You know, shouldn't we do something about the teachers? Fuck them, they're Tories is what I was told. Right. And they were. At yes. the time, teachers voted conservative. It's hard to imagine that. Yeah. So a new elite has taken over. But elites don't last forever. You know? yeah. We've got to get rid of this one. Yeah. It's, it's injurious. It's as oppressive and injurious as the last one was.
1: Absolutely. All yeah. these
0: elites are vile. You know, I was in the Socialist Workers' Party. Admittedly, and I accept, Brendan, a less intellectually coherent a slice of the far left and your lot. Yes,
1: of course, um, um, absolutely. But, but my my <laughs>
0: objection was to that 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 stultifying conservative elite which ran us, yeah, and which saw Jeremy Thorpe cleared in his court case, yeah, which had institutionalised racism, proper institutionalised racism. You know, I wanted to get rid of all that. Well, we did. <laughs> well done, (laughs) and look at what we now have. (laughs) But
1: it's interesting you say that because I I wanted to come on to touch upon the issue of Corbynism and what's happening with the Labour Party and the the possibility, which is something that I'm convinced of and I'm I'm thinking about as we speak, which is the possibility that Corbynism represents not a rebellion against the establishment, which is how they conceive of themselves, but uh, the formation of a new establishment. A new establishment that has that comes from the universities, which has a very particular political point of view, which believes more in the politics of identity than the politics of class, believes in censorship over freedom of speech. And all these views that have become increasingly established in recent years now taking a kind of physical form. So I've got a few things I want to ask you about. Corbyn's Labour Party, because you've had run-ins with them. Well, I've been kicked out. You've been kicked out. <laughs> yes. um, but the first thing is, to what extent, and I'm interested that you say that there seems to be a move away from identity politics towards, as their video put it, Our Town, and they're you know, trying, I think, to co-opt blue Labour values yes. to a certain extent. Yes. But to, to, to what extent do you think Corbynism is a populist upsurge or a reassertion of the establishment values that populism is worried about. Yes, it's both, isn't it? That's that's <laughs> the, inter-
0: but it is both. There isn't much that Macdonald says about the economy, uh, and nationalisation and higher taxation. Higher taxation, incidentally, the man's called a Marxist. His top rate of tax would be some thirty percent, forty percent less yeah. than Edward Heath had in nineteen seventy-three. You know that's how fucking <laughs> Marxist he is. Uh, but but there's a lot of that populism that you saw with Syriza, uh, and which you saw to a degree in other uh, uh, of the far left European countries, where the far left suddenly grew. Uh, that populism comes from the left as well as the yeah. right, and it's just as potent on the left. Um, and there's not much in that that I can disagree with. The other side of it is the London side of it, and I I, I think it is geographical maybe you know cambridge um, maybe the center of manchester a, a little bit but basically it's london elite values which the labor party is promulgating mm. and that's the thing they've got a bit quieter on right. in the last uh, 6 months to a year they're far less likely to jump to take the bait when it's dangled before them right. apart from on that issue of of uh, shortlists other than that, yeah, they're in favour of. By God, uh, uh, a Labour government. Wait to see what that would do to the press. Mm. You know, mm. uh,
1: I think I'd probably be out of a job. Yeah, uh, you could well be. It's it, it, the, the thing that strikes me about Corbynism. Not that I believe that Corbynism is a real thing, but the kind of Corbyn movement is the they kind of they find themselves quite stuck between the old labor values which yeah. they know that a huge number of their supporters and voters still yeah. cleave to which yeah. is a fairly traditional pro-worker redistributive re- exactly and then the the newer values that are really brought in by the kind of this in this huge intake in yeah. fact, of yeah. metropolitan, 500,000 of the huge fuckers. number, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and what that has done actually has made the Labour membership even more middle class under Corbyn than it was under Blair. Yes, and that's look, exactly right. And so I that's think exactly right. there's a real tussle going on. And the the, the negative side of me, because I've always been fairly suspicious of the Labour Party, the negative side of me thinks that the bad side, the identitarians, the people who have never experienced work class life... Identitarian apart from when it comes to
0: the white working class. Apart from the white working class, but who, who but yeah. you
1: can't talk about their identity because it's racist and wrong and everything yeah. else. I feel that they are going to win out, simply from the perspective that they have a greater amount of influence. They're, they're influential in the media. They're influential in Corbyn's circle. Or do you values, have, are you more optimistic? No,
0: no, no, I think that's exactly right. I think their values are shared precisely by well, certainly the BBC, and also by every other quango and non-governmental organisation which is set up, and also parts of the bloody Conservative Party, you know, that those values are shared amongst the liberal elite. So they have two things going for them. One is, you know, they do appeal to the blue-collar workers. Uh, I think if there was an election tomorrow, Labour would win easily. I I keep having right-wing people saying to me, editors of mine and so on, saying, no, Rod, we've passed Pete Corbyn. No, we haven't. (laughs) No, we haven't. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Things will just get worse. Mm. But I think that's exactly right, because they're pushing at an open door with this, except that the public doesn't like it.
1: You're listening to The Brendan O'Neill Show. It would be great if you could give us a rating and maybe even a review. That is a really good way to help new listeners discover the show. It would be remiss of me not to ask you, in relation to the Labour Party, about the issue of anti-Semitism, because mm. your run-in and your suspension and then your eventual resignation, I think, from the Labour Party it was largely around a piece you wrote in which you argued that Muslims are given, perhaps more than other sections of society, towards an anti-Semitic outlook. Um, well, they are. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I think that's... It's, it's, it's one of those things, again, across Europe, in fact, that you're not allowed to talk about, which is, the, which is the very distinct possibility that the rise in anti-Semitism in recent years is down to the fact that there has been... Not only that there has been an arrival of large numbers of Muslim immigrants, but also into societies that are unwilling or incapable of explaining to them what our values are. Yeah, and I think that combination... I think
0: exclusively. I, I can see no other reason for it. I don't swallow this stuff about the about the massive far right and what, what they could... National action. Yeah. You know, <laughs> nine fucking itinerant scousers. You know, I, I mean, it's bollocks, isn't it? Complete bollocks. I, I no. mean... The, the piece I wrote, and it was a very short piece, it was a blog, I think, was why is there more anti-Semitism in the Labour Party these days? And I said it was down to two things. First, the infantile Corbynista far left, which is used to its Free Palestine marches, mm. where you imbibe a degree of anti-Semitism there, even if saying Free Palestine isn't necessarily yeah. anti-Semitic. But that, that, that far-left tranche, which buys everything that Hamas says. Uh, but more than that, also because an increasing number of councillors come from Muslim backgrounds, um, and they are imbued as a consequence of their ideology with a certain anti-Semitism. Now, you know, Mehdi Hassan said the same thing. Mm. <laughs> Even, and granted she's one of the most stupid women in the history of women, Yasmin <laughs> Alibaya Brown has even said, you know, Muslims have got to look and root out this anti-Semitism. Mm.
1: Well, start by rooting out the Quran then, you mm. know, it's it's intrinsic. But it's one of those, I think it might have been you who said this, where you arrive at a situation where it basically becomes Islamophobic to talk about anti-Semitism. Because if you raise the question of anti-Semitism now, which is one of the reasons it was shushed for so long, there was this perception that you were picking on Muslims. But I I remember going on one of the anti-Israel marches in relation to Gaza 10 years ago. I I was on it to to report and observe, not to take part. And I saw a man in a Jew mask uh, pretending to eat dead babies. Um, And uh, um, I saw... Radical Islamists waving um, swastikas, And I remember at the time thinking, there is so little commentary about this, and it's bound to explode at some point. So the, the thing that does irritate me, even though I think there's an element of truth in this, when, when Corbynistas say that the, the criticism of their anti-Semitism is just a fit-up by right-wing sections of the Labour Party or by the Tories, I think there's an element of truth in that. But my bigger concern is that they have ignored the growth of this vile prejudice in in the radical left movement for so long that it was bound to spill over at some point. I think so. I, I mean, if you, if,
0: you, if you go on those marches, you imbibe it. And it, it, it doesn't become as obscene as it should. And I think an awful lot on the on the far left have done that. Uh, I'm not so sure about the fit-up stuff. Do you know, hmm. when, when the anti-Semitism stuff began... Uh, and the accusations came at Corbin and various counsellors, being naturally contrarian. Even though I'm, I'm quite, a, I support the state of Israel, and I, I've got some sympathy for Israel as being the democracy in the Middle East and all that stuff. I nonetheless sifted through to try and find faults in this. You know, these are false accusations. I, I said, Let me, but they're not. Mm. <laughs> they're really not. You know, and more and more comes out. There was a, a guy who was a councillor, just a councillor, down in, I think it was Worthing, who was uh, suspended for the party for anti-Semitism. And he said, um, no, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Uh, someone must have hacked my computer. Usual should <laughs> uh, But But then he f- eventually fessed up when other stuff he'd said before came to light, which was the most bizarrely anti-Semitic stuff. It was all the blood libel. All the, 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 you know, it's basically the Dreyfus case. Yeah. You know, it's bizarre. I've, I've tried before to make a distinction between that kind of antisemitism, which is sort of gradually acquired, um, and the visceral antisemitism of Nazism, which was these people need exterminating. But it gets harder and harder to do so. The
1: two are coterminous in the end. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree that the the, the problem of, of left wing antisemitism is, is an incredibly serious problem. I think it's treated more softly than other forms of prejudice. I mean, I still find it remarkable that the leader of the Labour Party is someone who made a favourable comment on a Facebook post of a mural yeah. showing hook nosed yeah. Jews trampling on humankind. And, and of course, his, his response, his response, every time this is brought up at the wreath laying,
0: uh, for the mural was uh, was to, is to portray himself as a moron. Yeah, <laughs> 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 that he, I didn't. Oh, I didn't know what was going. On. I, oh, silly me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The silly me. Defense. <laughs> the silly me thing. I and the mural was is obviously anti-Semitic. Yeah. I mean it just is. The wreath laying. You laid a wreath, Jeremy, for a Palestinian terrorist, and you finally admitted it. You tried to deny that. I mean. These were terrorists who murdered innocent Jewish people. Mm. So this was not about Netanyahu. Mm. Um, it's not about you know um, the shooting of Palestinian children. This was murder of innocent Jewish athletes.
1: I, and it's fa- I in fact, and gets away with it. It's it's and it's fascinating if you look back at the Munich massacre and what was going on around that time that seems to me to be an incredibly important turning point in the in terms of the european left becoming yeah. not just anti-israel but anti-jew yeah, yeah if yeah, you look at the yeah. commentary coming from you know the the, the barter meinhoff gang and others at, at that time it was very much um you know we're sick of bearing responsibility or guilt for the yeah, nazi crimes right. the jews are actually not very nice people and and t- t- it's the fact that Corbyn, to a certain extent, expresses sympathy with some of the barbaric attacks off that period, I think is quite a telling well, connection.
0: Well, and, and particularly in Germany at the time, I mean, the far left went that way. Even people far more intelligent than Jeremy, which isn't hard, but, you know, the, the likes of Heinrich Burl and Gunter Grass, you know,
1: would sign up to some of that stuff. Coming back to the fact that you and I both consider ourselves men of the left we consider ourselves to come from the left and to think left-wing values in their original incarnation were pretty good the thing that concerns me most about this is that it does suggest a return to a term you'll be familiar with from your days in the swp and <laughs> other, which is the socialism of fools which is the tendency yes. Yes. of sections of the radical left to have such a crass naff conspiratorial critique of capitalism yeah that they start to think it's all being run by these tiny sects of people and as soon as you think that you end up with the jews infantile, leftisms, infantile leftism Infantile leftism, exactly itself. and i do think that's a very alongside what you rightly describe as as the, the issue of muslim antisemitism which we should be absolutely free to talk about that combined with this new socialism of fools which i think is pronounced across Corbynism. I think anti-Semitism I mean, has expressions here and there, but this infantile sixth-former conspiratorial yeah, view yeah. that capitalism is a handful of men doing bad things, I think that's one of the key problems here. But it's more than that as
0: well. It's It's the stage on from that is to then to demonize those people who You believe are running the world uh, as being evil, and and this is this is the latest thing. Which which it's the it's the Tory scum stuff. Yes, as if these people aren't merely wrong, which I consider them to be most of the time but are actually evil, mm. uh, and that's biz- a bizarre mindset, and it is, I mean, you're dead right, it's a six-four mindset, mm. or, or actually, it's almost prepubescent, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, that person disagrees with me, ergo, they're not really wrong, but they are actually vile human beings, yeah. and that's what you see on every one of those marches, and every time Corbyn and Macdonald appear, you know, Tory scum. Therefore, we must have a general strike right now to bring down the government because they're scum. Not because they're wrong, but because they're scum. It's a, it's a bizarre way of looking at the world. It, but you see it, I mean, in fairness, I've had some of this on Facebook as well. Uh, I've got quite a lot of friends on Facebook. And and some of it comes from the right as well. There is a certain infant, infantilism on the right as well, which is which is that and, and that old dictum that you know Hitler gets dragged in by the fifth response on Facebook <laughs> uh, which is still true yeah. and people people quote that thing but it still happens yeah well as with I, Donald I, Trump Donald I, is Hitler, Hitler. and they, you know, <laughs> it, and it's another way of just closing down debate.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things that worries me most about contemporary politics, which is this, you know, I'm all in favour of heated debate and even polarisation, which mm. I think can be a very clarifying thing. Yeah. If you know why people are divided and where they're divided. I think all that's to the good. And I don't have a problem with the Daily Mail calling people traitors. All those things, I think, are part and parcel of What has been, you know, very testy, radical English political culture for many centuries. Indeed. But I, but the, the problem I do have with contemporary politics in Britain is, is this instinct to delegitimize. So not only is Rod Little wrong about this, but he is evil and scum and must be silenced. And, and again, it comes back to that kind of instinctive, censorious dynamic. It is, it is it is bizarre. I mean, the, la- the latest one I had in public
0: was with the Welsh. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> lovely people, uh, look you. But, but the thing that shocked me was that I, I wrote something. It was one of the most anodyne things I've ever written. It was just saying what they might call their new seven bridge. And I said it should be something with no vowels in it and yeah. going on for 30 letters, you know. Well, you can't say that. <laughs> and, but it wasn't just that. They brought the police yes, in. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, um, The North Wales Police Commissioner got involved and tried to see if, if it was a hate crime and I could be prosecuted. The person in charge of the Welsh language, they have someone who runs the Welsh language, that's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> gave her response, which was saying, we must always respect freedom of speech. However, this is a hate crime! <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I, and I, I genuinely didn't get it. I just don't understand that. Um, with a skin as thin as the surface tension of water, and yeah. that therefore I must be prosecuted.
1: It's funny you say that, because I've got on my notes, whales and thin-skinnedness. So yeah. I wanted to actually... Yeah. because and, the- But the Welsh aren't. You yes, know, and exactly. I got
0: loads of, of, of emails from Welsh people said, well, I thought it was one of your best jokes, but it was quite funny. It was all right. Uh, what the hell's going on? Please, these people don't speak for us. And I remember Plaid Cymru. You know, I remember Plaid Cymru back in the day when I was there, and they were bloody good. Mm-hmm. People like Gwynver Evans and David Ellis Thomas and David Wigley. These were good, good politicians
1: from the left. They would done anything to do with this crap.
0: Well, the woods.
1: The funny line, I thought, in that piece was when you talked about how this bridge would connect Wales to the First World. Yes. So I think... <laughs> it was a, a joke. <laughs> it was a joke. And it was a, that was actually a very funny joke. And then, as you say, you get reported to the North Wales Police or, or the Taffy Taliban, as some people refer to it. Taliban, yes. And, but I, I had the same reaction as you, because you expect... Twitter storms and fury and no platform. And when I speak at Oxford, I expect there will be protesters there. You expect that now. But I'm still shocked by the combination of touchiness and arrogance. Yes. That can make people read a newspaper column and phone the police. We'll phone the police. <laughs> and, and, you know, obviously we laugh at that because it is hilarious. But at the same time, you do think, find yourself thinking, how do we have a situation 400 years after Milton and the Levellers yeah, and the struggle yeah, yeah. for press freedom, where in Britain in 2018, people think it's acceptable to phone the police after reading a newspaper. No, card. It's, it's utterly bizarre. And it
0: happens. It happens. I mean, in fairness, it's not just the Welsh. Yes. It's, uh, I mean, there, there were two others where the police got called for me. Um, one was where I, I said I'd seen a cat come into my garden. And I'd caught it, subjected it to a summary trial, constructed a gallows and hanged it. And four wood mice were cheering on little chairs as I did this. (laughs) The police came around and said, where where is this gallows? I said, it's a fucking joke. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't the wood mice thing give you the... Someone had rung the police. Another one was about fibromyalgia. I did a fairly jokey column. You should probably never joke about illnesses. But I listed things which I thought were illnesses and things which I thought weren't. (laughs) So I put cancer and having a broken leg, and they were illnesses. And then I put underneath things that weren't being a bit mental, um, (laughs) um, a bad cough, uh, fibromyalgia, and so on. And the Fibromyalgia Society rang the police. They, they' rang the police, and I know about this because I saw it on their website because I was getting all this fury in from fibromyalgia people who were suddenly able to be very active indeed yeah. uh, well, remarkably <laughs> um, and I, I know about so I looked at the website, and the woman who was in charge of this said, "I rang the police, I rang a police officer in and this is, gives might give you some hope, but uh, Brendan, you know uh, they rang the police in Derby." And said, I want to report a hate crime. And uh, said, well, what was said? Well, it was people saying that fibromyalgia wasn't a disease. And the copper... (laughs) Right, Okay." And he said, and who said this? And uh, the woman said... This was all written down on their page. Uh, It was Rod Liddle. And the policeman said oh, he's a well-known arsehole, just forget it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the right response. It's the right it's response. the
1: right response, That's absolutely the right response. But it, but it
0: happens more and more often. And it happens in a far less bothersome way in, in you know people being banned from Twitter and being banned from Facebook for, for fairly anodyne things. Yeah. But also, but don't forget, the police are gagging for it. They are fucking yeah, gagging are. for it. Have you seen these posters which are up in Scotland? Mm. There's no room, yeah. <laughs> no room for your <laughs> hatred. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> and, 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 you know, what you say, you know, if you've seen the Haker Report, a Haker, yeah. and you, you say, where on earth has this come from? And you suspect it's because... It's a hell of a lot easier for the police to deal with that than it is to deal with things like burglaries and stabbings. Yeah. Which, which they're not terribly interested in. <laughs> you know? But the hate crime, the guy who rang up, I think it was a guy who, who, who put on Facebook that he was so cross about his flight being cancelled that he was going to bomb Doncaster Airport. Yes, that's right. Like,
1: grow up. Yeah. You know? It's, 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 up. It's, it's so strange and scary um, and deserves far more protest. The fact that we live, we Britain has now become a country in which various police forces across the country th- don't think twice about tweeting something along the lines of "Watch what you tweet." Yes, we're watching How you. Dare How dare they? How dare they? How dare they? I won't watch what I tweet. Yes, as soon
0: as I see that, I tweet. Well, I don't tweet, but I go on Facebook and put something loathsome. Yes, that's me. right. <laughs> and with the Welsh, I, I, had, I explained to the North Wales Police Commissioner that because. Of this stuff. Now, for the next six weeks, I was going to have to be vile about the Welsh in every
1: single (laughs) on principle. On principle, they cannot get away with this. But you know, one of the things they are. Yes, that's right. And and I think one of the reasons they can get away with it is because, coming back to some of the things we've been talking about, is is the left's abandonment of its principles. You know, the left would once have been at the forefront. In fact, this country, in many ways, is built upon. Uh, leftish or radical groups arguing for the right to say whatever the hell mm. they want and to publish whatever the hell they want you yes, know the, the, that's the right. curious thing about Britain and particularly England is that so many of our freedoms actually come from tabloid type people who demanded the right to report what was happening in Parliament yeah who yeah. demanded the, demanded the right to be uh, you know libelous about the king yeah you know from John Wilkes back to John milton and so on so it 's this The great thing about England, in fact, is that that kind of um, colourful, disrespectful, sometimes defamatory public discourse. The sort of thing class war do, by the way. Yeah, class war still do that. Still do that, yeah. Uh, You know, that is the kind of thing that gave us a lot of the freedoms and the comfort we enjoy. The left has completely forgotten that and it has now gone down the route of uh, controlling political debate and controlling language. Well, because it has power.
0: Mm. Because it has power, uh, it can do it <laughs> and yet you 're right it it is far more censorious than was the previous elite, which yeah. was yeah right wing but it 's strange how the left hasn 't recognized that that kind of brutal suppression of freedom of speech which we saw in the Soviet Union still see today in China um, and in all countries which 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 had a, a communist governments. Pretty much without exception, mm. Guyana, maybe um, that they haven't learned from that 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 they have instead taken that censoriousness on board. Yeah, you know it's uh, and want people to be sent off to be re-educated yeah, in absolutely. the great Stalinist phrase. Yeah, a footballer says makes a joke about gay people. Yeah. and he's sent off to be re-educated. You know,
1: I, it's bizarre. It's extraordinary. You're listening to The Brendan O'Neill Show. If you like this podcast and Spike's other podcasts, and also the articles and essays that Spike publishes every day, please think about giving us a donation. Spike's content is free and we want to keep it free, and donations really help us to do that. Head over to Spike's donation page now at www.spiked-online.com. The kind of final thing I want to ask you about, which is a ridiculous thing to leave till the end of a discussion, but there you go, is Brexit. Uh, And um, Brexit is my favourite thing that's happened in British politics for (laughs) at least in my lifetime. The reason I love Brexit, the, the key reason is because I see it as potentially the antidote to a lot of the problems we've been talking about over the past hour. Well, I think the voters did. The, and the voters did. So they saw it as a way of rebelling against yes. technocracy and uh, distant elites. But you can't. But you just think it can't be done. can't be
0: done. I, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't think necessarily that we will have a second referendum or that we won't leave. But I think if either of those things happened... It really would just be a resigned sullenness. And uh, you see, you can't beat him. Uh, I, think, I think that's what would happen.
1: And if we did leave?
0: And if we do leave? It will be better. Oh, I think it would be better. I mean, all of the problems which have been associated with Brexit are not a consequence of wishing to leave the EU. It's a consequence of having a fucking useless government, you know, which has shot itself in the foot, right from the day after the referendum. The, 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 that the flurry of knives in the back between Gove and Johnson, mm-hmm. who could possibly have led us towards Brexit, either of them, preferably Gove, but then this, then electing a, 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 a prime minister who was for remain. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. What would be the point of doing that? And then, because she's not terribly bright, organising a general election, People don't like general elections. They don't like them. I do, because I'm a journo. They resent having this stuff foisted upon them. And she loses her majority, as I knew she would, you know, and wrote that at the time. And ever since then, the cabinet being split between effectively Remainers and Leavers, ripping each other to bits, and therefore not presenting a united face to Europe... And never ever going to Europe in confidence and saying we're doing yeah. this, you listen to us,
1: yeah.
0: or we won't pay you a fucking penny. Mm. Never having that chutzpah, or that confidence to do it. None of this is a None of this is the fault of Brexit itself. Mm-hmm. It's the
1: fault of the politicians who've been charged with seeing it through. Would you say one of the problems we face today is that is this split between? A hopeful, ballsy public and a cowardly political elite. Yeah, I think so.
0: And, okay, she's fucked because of her own decision, in my opinion, to to hold that election. Um, She is in a very tenuous position and dependent upon the DUP. Um, So it's a minority government, effectively. But even so, you know, Jim Callaghan had a minority government. And it was competent, well-run, got inflation down massively. One of the most underrated governments we've had that last three years of Callaghan and Healy. John Major, who I cannot abide, had a minority government, or effectively a minority government for a time. And he had his bastards in the cabinet. Mm. But still there was a degree of competence and it wasn't lurching from one crisis to another every day as this is. Uh, it's the ineptitude of, of the political class. The Labour Party led by people with the IQ of krill uh, on the front bench. <laughs> when you look down there, that woman who looks like the, like the banjo player out of deliverance. I can't remember. <laughs> so was, was, was Long Bailey. Was it Rick Bailey? us. <laughs> Someone like that, and all that that other lot. You know, a government which has as its minister for Northern Ireland. (laughs) Do you remember? (laughs) They have a sectarian divide. Nationalists and unionists. Nationalists. (laughs) You you couldn't believe this thirty years ago. It would be incomprehensible. You know, so we've been let down by the political class. I mean, the the political class is another issue. How did it get to be that way? Mm. I think the winnowing away of power from Westminster is one thing. And the odium in which they're held is
1: another. So the best people don't turn out to be politicians anymore. So the final thing then, if you were to express an optimistic note about politics and public life in Britain at the moment, are you able to do that? Yes, Yes. In relation to
0: which area? Well, 2016 was brilliant, we're all agreed. Brilliant, partly because of the referendum. And then, and then in October, I remember being roused by my wife at four o'clock in the morning. He's done it. Oh, what the f- Donald's done it. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, that was a year of populism. The left thought 2017 came along that this was being reversed. So we had France, which, uh, where the Front National were pretty, pretty easily trounced. Uh, And a faux populist got in. And they seem to think that that was the end of it, that this populism had stopped. It hasn't. It's growing everywhere. It's growing particularly in mainland Europe. And the biggest, as ever, um, the biggest backlash comes from those countries which were once very liberal. So the Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, and now Germany. And you already have Italy, Austria, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Poland and Hungary, uh, most certainly Hungary, uh, who all have reservations about the EU project and all have grave reservations about the, the blind liberalism which allowed them to import loads of primarily Muslim refugees into their country and never ever deal with the integration or the numbers or to question the aspirations of those people. And so the populism is growing there. I feel incredibly... Uh, optimistic about Europe. And one of the reasons I voted leave was in the hope that it might provoke Europe to reform. That was a bit of a tall order. But, you know, what happened in Catalonia convinced me that I was right to vote leave. Mm. You know, that bullying Mm -hmm. uh, of an admittedly pro-EU tranche uh, and the bullying of Hungary and Poland and everything. I think there is a growing disaffection with the EU Mm. on the continent. Uh, I don't think there's a great love for the EU over here. The surprising thing over here is that that no one's really grasped how a populist party could be very effective. Now, that's largely a consequence of our rather sclerotic political system Mm. in that it's very hard for new parties to come along. But I think there would be a great amount of support, particularly amongst the working class, for a populist party which also believed in, you know, the nation state uh, as the best best of a number of bad options of how we run ourselves. Mm. I had some hope recently that the Labour lot over the anti-Semitism stuff and other other bullying tactics from Momentum might rebel, but none of them have any balls mm. for it. None of them do. They all want to keep their jobs. Um, there is no one like Owen Williams... Rogers Jenkins. Mm. There's no one of that stature there. I mean, even to talk about Bill Rogers as having stature, fucking hell, (laughs) it shows you how far we've sunk. Uh but there's no one of that kind. Yeah. So on the domestic political front, I'm pretty depressed and pessimistic.
1: Rob Little, thank you very much.
0: Pleasure. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to The Brendan O'Neill Show. We'll be back next month with another guest and more discussion. Don't forget to subscribe. See you next month, and in the meantime, keep reading Spiked at www.spiked-online.com.